Welcome to the City Life Lansing podcast. We hope this message empowers you to love life, love Jesus, love people, and dream more. You can connect with us at citylifelansing.com. You belong here. My question this morning, do you love me? Do you love me? Jesus asked that question to Peter, do you love me? I think the obvious answer we'd all hope is we could say, yeah, Jesus, we love you. Maybe you're like, I don't know. I am still figuring out this Jesus thing. One of my favorite interactions last week was an individual came up to me and said, I don't know anything about this religious stuff, but when I come, I feel like you're talking to me. I'm starting to believe. I think it's kind of like an adventure, being invited to Disneyland. You don't even have to like Disney stuff to at least catch the energy for a moment. Eventually you might get a little cramped and you'll feel you know, real close to kind of, thanks, guns is the man. Maybe you'll feel a little claustrophobic with individuals and maybe you won't like the cost of a burger is $35, but I think everybody would say it invites kids to an awesome experience to believe that anything's possible. And in the hallway, that individual is just sharing me, I feel like I can believe. So when we think about loving Jesus, today I hope that you would feel invited to think for yourself. God's big enough to handle your questions and have an experience and an encounter with him to say, All right, Jesus, I am hearing this question. Do you love me? And I'm going to consider your words. And those that have walked with Jesus for a really long time, the obvious answer to do you love me? Yes, I love you. I love you. But I think it's really deep to pause and say, okay, how do we love God? What is the nature of love and how to love God? We started out the year talking about that I am not in charge. And so for in order for me to dictate about what 2017 looks like, I could have goals, I could be ambitious, I want to do great things, achieve awesome stuff, I want to pay off some debt, I might want to get an addition on my house, I might want to even just get a job, I might want to get married. And we put it out there and we start to just move and walk and this is what I am going to do. But the fact is we are not in charge. And God is so in charge and he's worth it because he pursues us through his steadfast love. And that's good news because when you are a misfit, when you're being a baby, when you're not lovable, God's still pursuing you and trying to love you. Somebody said amen, and that means right on. That's what God does. So it's okay to say, I'm not in charge. And we submit to him and say, all right, you're worth it, and I trust you because all glory to you. So I want to be faithful, and I want to give all glory to your name because you've been faithful to me. And last week we talked about the fears we have in our life. And how quick they come and how we're feeding them. We're feeding them online. We're feeding them in our day-to-day. We're feeding them in our friendships. And fear grows really fast, but it's not real. We're only born with two fears. We're born with the fear of falling and loud noises, and that's for survival. All other fears are learned. And Jesus says this, that my perfect love will cast out all fears. So we have to grow that perfect love. It's going to be hard to work out our fears. It's going to take some time, but we're going to start shifting our perspective to not look at the old ways, to not look at the fear, to not get online and constantly being bombarded with this information. That's kind of getting you afraid. I mean, I read an article this week that said artificial intelligence is going to take over the world. It's just like the movies. It's only 50 to 100 years away. Good luck. You can't stop it. That was a TED Talk. I'm like, starting to think, man, my kids, kids, this is crazy. It's like, is it like Terminator? Is it Spynet? Skynet? What, what is it? You guys, and Satan is trying to cripple us because if he can just keep us in this little stew of mess, then great love isn't pursuing people. Great love's not getting messy. It's not getting out there. And then we're not having freedom. And then today, really talking about in 17 here, 
What does this love look like? What does this freedom look like? What does this greater in me look like? I think we can find it with a simple phrase. I've titled this message is, I can't, but he can. And we're gonna look at the life of Peter. Life of Peter is inviting and fascinating. I think we'll all relate to how Jesus interacts with him because Jesus shows up and shows off in Peter's life so many times. And Peter finds himself in tough situations. He has some heroic moments that only the movies could depict. And he has some other moments that I think we'd be laughing and pointing at if we weren't in our right mind in Christ. So let's look at how Peter gets found in Matthew 4. Verse 18 through 22, it says, while walking on the, by the Sea of Galilee, this is Jesus. So he's starting to recruit his dream team. Jesus is gonna go find people that are gonna change the world. Interesting about Jesus because he's only showing up on the scenes to, in his full authority for about three years as far as walking on earth pre, post, pre-resurrection. And so from about 30, roughly, to about 33. So all the stuff you hear about Jesus is taking place in about three years. Interesting because what type of strong, powerful leader would only train a team for three years that would transform the world and have us sitting here at Harry Hill? Why would anyone do that? It's because God knew what he was doing in a plan and he was comfortable with working through common people and he wanted to recruit common people to deconstruct the religious, to deconstruct the social pressures, to deconstruct the the hierarchies that take place in all of the systems that we see today. Top down, always top down. So he goes right to the ground. I'm going to go recruit from the low and then I'm going to build that team and that team's going to be reckless and that team's going to go, they're not going to care about their lives. They're going to be so uh, scandalous with their love. They're going to just stand in the face of of adversity and they are going to share the good news to everybody and that's exactly what's taking place here. So he's beginning to make that happen. So he's walking by the Sea of Galilee and he saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter. And Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. It's important to understand, fishermen in that time does not look like fishermen today. And so when we think about fishing for Jesus or fishing for men, the natural thought process would be, oh, fishing, I get it. Get the right bait, get the right lure, get the right everything, and I'm going to go fishing. I don't know much about fishing, so that's the extent of my analogy. So if you were hoping there was more, I caught a catfish like one time. It's the grossest thing in the world. If I go fishing with you, you're putting on the worm, and we're not going to fight who's the, who's the toughest. Look, you're not even tough. Look, you're the fisher. I'm here. I'm your hype man. It's exciting. I encourage you. You can take out my kids. So just if you thought you wanted to recruit me on your fishing trip, I'm excited about it. I endorse it, but I'm not going to recruit you know, you to play Mario Run with me all night too. So just let's be you, you be me. And hey, check it. So the point here is when you're fishing, you're fishing in a way that is different. You're fishing with a net. You're throwing out a net to see what kind of fish you can get in the net. And so that's important to know because as we think about Jesus telling us to fish, it looks like a net. He's telling us the good news. It's good news that we're sharing. It's like a net, throw it out there and then I'll catch who I'm supposed to catch. That's liberating because you don't have to have the exact right bait. You don't have to have always the right fishing rod. You don't have to have everything perfect, the conditions. Be up at five in the morning, set your alarm, walk out, don't let the ripple go. It's kind of like hunting, they're gonna hear you. Oh, I gotta get the deer, that's my God. You know, if we put that much effort into anything else, we change the world, right? But hey, I love it, it's all good. I put effort into all silly things too, let's get it. It's not silly. And somebody's like, wow, is he on that? Yes, I love you. So here's why it's important. Fishermen is net casting. Good news fishermen is net casting. So when we share the good news, we are sharing it in a way that we're casting a net. We don't have to be perfect in it. And he said this to them, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. 
They understand this. This is the context. Why is that so beautiful? Because Jesus understands your context. Are you at GM? He understands your context. He understands exactly where you're at. Where have you been in your life? What is the job you do? He shows up right there and he says, come, follow me and I will make it new. I will allow you to be a part of something that's so beautiful, that is so much bigger than yourself. Watch. And here's how they respond. Immediately, they left their nets and followed him. And when you think about Peter, it's important to know, it's easy to say, oh, well, a bachelor could follow Jesus. It's pretty easy. Or if somebody is still living at their parents' house, oh, that's cute. You follow Jesus. You know, you hear about these college kids that got uh, no debt or whatever, leave, leave uh, they got a trust fund, and then they go overseas, they follow Jesus. And you're like, oh, that's cute. But the family person, it's like, I can't do that. So you don't understand my frustrations. Well, Peter does. He's married. And Peter would understand because fishing would take place. That was, that was the occupation probably of family for a really long time. And so they've been fishing for a long time. You imagine trying to be recruited from the very thing that has been generational in your family business and just leave it in a second? Why would they do something like that? Is it possible that Jesus was worth that attention? And so Peter gets up, follows Jesus, and he is all in really quick. And then we see in uh, Peter's life, Peter is the individual, he's, he's, he's very emotional. And so he has these epic hurrah moments where Jesus is walking on water, shows up, the disciples are in a boat, and they're afraid, obviously, what in the world is going on? And Jesus says, do not be afraid. And he says, well, if that's you, tell me to come. He says, come. And Peter gets out of the boat and he starts walking on water the story goes, and he walks on water, but then he takes his eyes off Jesus for a moment, and he thinks about probably all the situation around him. You ever done that? Took your eyes off Jesus and thought about the situation right around you? Sometimes I have prayer time in the morning. I feel invincible because God is with me, and then as soon as I get out and I check my email, I feel all the pressure of the world, and I feel like I'm drowning again. And he grabs him, and he says, come on, you little faith, let's go. And it was not you, a little faith, where you were confident in your own power. It was, why were you not trusting me? You were walking on water. Continue to look at where your source comes from. And so he walked on water. And in fact, G Peter knows about God's power because Jesus heals his mother-in-law. Peter knows about Jesus dominating. He's seeing the, 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 the dead being raised. He's seeing the blind have sight. He's interacting with Jesus on a personal level. Questions? He's even the one that says that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah. And Jesus looks at him and says, you're right, heaven has shown you that. So Peter has a great resume going on when he's walking with Jesus after this moment when he left his fishing occupation and now he's walking with Jesus and here he is having some home run events, even grand slam events. Is it a grand slam? I think walk off grand slam to walk on water. Somebody, I think it's a walk off grand slam to walk on water. So he has these great moments. And in fact, when Jesus is going to be taken by authorities to be crucified, crucified, not for his sin, but my sin and your sin, he's going to take the wrath of God. Peter doesn't like it. And he has a sword on him and he cuts off one of the soldier's ears. And Jesus heals the soldier's ear and says, look, I could call so many angels down from heaven, but this is not how we come. Peter is very, very emotional. He's here to defend. He's here to engage. Immediately is a word when I think of Peter. But then in Luke 22, Jesus is having these instructions as he's about to go to the cross. 
they're having the Lord's Supper and there's this argument of who is going to be the greatest. The disciples, after three years, seeing how Jesus lived, this is how deep sin is. Who's going to be great, Lord? We all kind of act like this. You ever been around somebody that's going to get an inheritance or it's going to sue for a lot of money? Or how about you've been around somebody maybe that won some big lotto or just got a pay raise? What's the natural thing you feel in your heart a little bit? So am I going to get a little bit of that? What's going to happen? Can, can I be down? You know, everybody, right? Like you get that lotto ticket, we're all splitting this the third way, right? Or tenth way. That's how we feel. And, and they're like, Jesus, you've been great. I see you're great. We see you're big time. Uh, you're getting this kingdom thing you've been talking about. Man, can we be great with you? And Jesus punks them out and says, man, if you want to be great, you got to be young. You got to be low. Whoever is greater is the one who climbs, who is greater, the one who reclines at a table and the one who serves or the one who serves is not the one who reclines at the table, but the one among you, the one who serves. And then in verse 33, here's what it says. Peter says to him, after Jesus gives him these instructions, in fact, he tells him, You're, you have stayed with me in my trials and I assign to you as my father has assigned to me a kingdom. So he's given him this amazing blessing right before these verses. He says, I'm gonna give you a kingdom. Here's the type of kingdom he says, that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and sit at the thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. Wow. He's telling him, just go low. Just serve people and you're gonna get a kingdom. It reminds you of Psalm 23 when it says, I walk with the Lord. He's my shepherd. I will not fear. And he gives me, prepares a table in the midst of my enemies. My enemies are all around, but Jesus is right here. And I'm looking at the king. That's why he's talking about a table, royalty, declaration, celebration. That's what you're invited into. So Jesus is talking to you this morning the same way he's talking to them. But in verse 33, here's how Peter responds. Lord, I'm ready to go with you both to prison and to death. (laughs) Come on, somebody knows that guy. I'm ready to go with you anywhere. We in. What do you do to you? You know, like that's what he did. What do you say to you? That's my boy. That's the family. You know, you could see it. Don't mess with that kind of family. They roll deep. You'd be like, you'd be like, you know, you, you get, if you ever seen an argument, you ever fought somebody, and then you, you thought you fought one person, and the next thing you know, the clan comes. You're like, whew, my bad. Um, my bad. And he says, I'm ready to go with you both to prison and to death. Jesus said, I tell you, Peter, the rooster will not crow this day until you deny me three times that you know me. Imagine how he felt in that moment. Jesus, are you crazy? What are you crazy? I will not deny you. Are you crazy? And then he goes on and he gives more instructions. Life of Peter. In Matthew 26, we see here, then he began to invoke and curse on himself to swear. This is Peter now. He's having the interaction. Someone's asking him about if he knows this man who's, about to be, who's being crucified, who's being led to the authorities. And he says, I do not know the man. And immediately the rooster crowed. This is the third time. And Peter remembered the saying of Jesus, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And he went out and he wept bitterly. The message translation says that he cried and he cried and he cried. And he probably felt this extreme guilt and shame because he had let his leader down. Have you ever had a moment in your life when you were caught in sin and you can't even believe once you had that aha moment that you were doing it? 
that you found yourself in a situation, why am I thinking that way? It's like Peter in this moment. Oh, oh my goodness. I just denied him three times. And then you start bawling. You had that moment where you couldn't believe the very thing you said you'd never do, you did. That you would not fall back in a way. If anybody thought this way, it'd be Peter. I mean, he's got confidence. I've been rolling with Jesus. I am with you forever. You are the Messiah. You are the King. There's no way. And I think it's because he, God was going to allow this to take place. And Jesus was praying that this would not happen to Peter. And the reason why, and I really believe this, is because he wanted people, Peter to understand, I can't, but he can. If Peter would have hit a home run in that moment, I'm telling you, it might have gotten, gotten scarier and crazy. God wanted to have the situation continue because he wanted to ask that question, do you love me? John 21, here's how the story continues in Peter's life. Peter is uh, ecstatic once he finds out that Jesus has been raised from the dead. I, I love this moment where, uh, I, I, I think it was Ravi Zacharias that said this, but uh, if somebody else, give them the credit, but... It wasn't me. Uh, the, the tomb was not rolled away for Jesus' benefit so he could get out. It was uh, rolled away for our benefit so that we could get in. I love that. The power of God got out, period, when Jesus rose from the tomb. Like, it got out, period. And when he destroyed the temple, when he gave us access, when this curtain, there used to be this, this is a tradition, just to give you a mindset of the nature of God. God's been pursuing us. Our sin is so rebellious that he was creating provisions and opportunities for us to get close to him. That's what he's been doing since the beginning of time. And he's been pursuing us. And he would give these provisions in the sacrificial law that we would have to uh, make atonement for our sins and basically say, God, I'm sorry. Here, take this, this calf, take my possessions um, and let the priest offer it as a, an offering to God on behalf of the people. So the priest would stand as a representative, kind of like a spokesperson, a captain on the court, if you will. And so the priest would be a representative between, for the people and for God and offer that up to God. And there was this curtain that only though, it was like the Holy of Holies. Only, it could only go in there a certain time of the year. And when Jesus, boom, on the cross, when he dominated, when he was, when he, final moments, when he said, it is finished, period, all of it came down. And he gave us access. So no longer do we need a high priest, that we have the high priest. And he still has authority, has structures, but now the beautiful intimate access that you have is so fundamentally different. So picture that for a moment. Picture what's taking place. They have access to Jesus and all of his power. Jesus has gained all authority on earth and heaven. You would think that Peter would then say, I am in, and you know what? I get it now. I understand everything. He'd seen the resurrection. He'd known about it. And here he is in John 21. In the story, I'm going to pick it up in verse 4. Just as the day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore. Yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, children, do you have any fish? What are they doing? They're fishing. Why are they fishing? Was that Jesus's goal when he was training them for three years to get them to become fishermen? I thought he was trying to tell them to take the good news everywhere. What do we do in our moments when we feel like we don't have confidence or purpose or hope anymore or when we've messed up and when we feel like we've been, been, been letting God down, right? What do we do? We, we start to take this name tag. I need, I need one volunteer to come stand up here real quick. We start to believe. Thank you. Come on up here real quick. And we start to believe. Here's what we start to believe.
and you can just, you're going to get to have a seat, and we're all going to get to look at you. We're all going to get to stare at you. Because this is exactly what we do. We say, oh, man, he denied Jesus. Did you hear what happened with that leader and that team? He denied Jesus. You can hear it now. You hear what happened with that church? You believe what they have in that person? They denied Jesus. How could they do that? What losers? There must be no power. And then you, you start believing, you start believing, yeah, I denied Jesus. And you know what you start going back to? You go back to your old life where you had confidence. Back to where you used to think you were good. Maybe it was drinking. Maybe it's porn. You go back to your old life where, hey, maybe I'm just going to go fight. You go back to your old life where I've gotten pretty good at this. So I'm just going to go back what I thought it was pretty good at. And when Jesus shows up on the scene, when he says the word children, I think what he's trying to say in that moment, and it's just so good. I love what he's doing. Calls them out, children. He didn't say fishermen. He just said, children, do you have any fish? You know what he's doing? is he's just trying to set the stage a little bit for a new name and letting them know, is this, you're loved. They answered him, no. He said to him, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. So they cast it and now they were not able to haul in it all because of the quantity of the fish. That disciple whom Jesus loved, that's how you should think of yourself. That's how John refers to himself when he writes. The disciple whom Jesus loved. Therefore said to Peter, it is the Lord. And when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for work, and he threw himself into the sea. The other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from the land, but about 100 yards off. And the reason I love this is so, this is so beautiful, because they were fishing, they weren't catching anything, and Jesus shows up on the scene, he tells them how to fish again, and they start catching tons of stuff, and that is symbolic, because here's the thing. We can't fish on our own. I can't, but he can. And even in the illustration of how God shows up to him, same way he recruited Peter, same way he recruits him from his occupation, saying, hey, you thought you could do this on your own, but I'm going to show you in everything that you do, when you cast the net, when I lead you, when I guide you, when you come into my fullness of what I have for you, you're going to be able to not even hold it and drag it back in because it's me leading. And he's setting the stage for this question. And he comes in about 100 yards. And when they got out of the land, they saw the charcoal in the fire and the fish laid out in the bread. And Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you've just caught. So Simon Peter went abroad and hauled the net ashore full of large fish, 153 of them. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus is the net, y'all. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Now, none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? So is he transfigured at this moment? Jesus is good at, uh, what does he exactly look like? I'm not sure, but they knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them, and so with the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. And here's when we go. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And what's he pointing to in that moment? More than the fishing. Do you love me more than these? Do you love me more than this previous life? Do you love me more than these? Can you hear God asking you that question today? Do you love me more than these? What is the thing that is robbing you? Do you love me? We can answer so quick, but how can we even love God? We cannot love God in our own power, in our own ability. And he said to the Lord, you know that I love you. And he said, feed my lambs. And he's talking about this. He said to him a second time, and even talking about some translate, you could, you could, do you love me more than these? Is it, is it, is it animals? Is it anything? Do you love me more than anything that would be before it? And he asked him a second time, do you love me? Well, tend my sheep. You know that I love you. 
And it's interesting because in Greek, there's different forms of love. And this is where we're going to land. You got to hear this today. You got to hear this. When he's asking him, do you love me? He's saying, do you agape love me? Which is the God type of love. And Peter keeps responding, of course, I brotherly love you, the brotherly type of love. And finally, in the third time, he asks him, do you love me? And he asks him, do you brotherly love me? And Simon says, yes, I love you. And Peter was grieved in that moment. And he said to him, Lord, you know everything that I love you. Well, feed my sheep then. And he says to him, truly, I tell you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and where you walked and you wanted. And and he tells him, eventually you'll be stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. And he was referring to him, hey, guess what? You're going to be martyred. You're going to be crucified. But I want you. And he leaves him with the same words that he saying in the very beginning of the moments. And here's what he says. He says, follow me. And he gives him that last type of tag. And that last tag is so beautiful because the name Peter, it means rock. And the ability to love God is all found on this. You see yourself completely differently when you understand that you don't possess the love to love God. You see yourself differently how God is and who he is. He's the nature of God. It's in 2 Timothy, real quick, I'm gonna jump there. 2.13, it says, we, if we are faithless, he remains faithful for he cannot deny himself. And then the next time we see Peter, you know, he used to think he was the rock, I think, a little bit. Like, I'm a rock. I can do this. Do you think you're a rock? I've learned enough in my life that I can't, but he can. I can't beat addiction, but he did. I can't be nice, but he did. I can't change the city, but he can. I can't love people when they're unlovable, but he can. I don't want to love myself when I'm mean at times, but he can, and he does. And that perspective, that power, that source, it gives you confidence in a way that you didn't even know possible. And so you're not running back to your old ways and trying to find hope in that because, hey, I'm really good at drinking. I'm really good at hanging out with this. I'm really good at being angry. Maybe it was generational even. Maybe it's been an occupation. I'm really good at making money. You start to look at everything differently. What is God telling me? How is he leading me? Because now I say, okay, when Jesus says, follow me, I'm getting it now. You're the rock. So therefore I have that ability because you're flowing through me and I'm on my face saying, Jesus, do something awesome. And it's so cool because Peter's used in Acts chapter four. And uh, two, he, he gives this crazy big sermon. All these people come to Jesus. This person gets healed in chapter three. And then four, the leaders come up to him. And here's what they say. They had, they, when they had set them in the midst, they inquired, by what power of what name did you do this? In verse seven. Then Peter, full of the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed? Let it be known to all of you. He's going to start talking about the rock. When you start talking about the rock and not your problems or you're the rock, it's going to invite people into the adventure to believe again. Let it be known to all of you that all the people of Israel, by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you. Well, and this Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders which has become the cornerstone. Peter's getting it. He's talking about the rock. And when Jesus said, hey, you, I'm going to build my church on you. You're not even that sharp of a leader. Yeah, I've been, I've been doing this for three years with you. And you know what? You've let me down. Come on. It's hard to trust people when they've let you down. Jesus did it though. 
He knew we would get to this point. We got to give people grace. We got to allow them to go through the process. We got to allow people to grow on their own. We got to, they just have to. Because then they start believing the rock, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under which heaven given among men by which we must be saved. That's the invitation this morning. There is no other name to which we must be saved. I don't want to stop talking about that good news. When it gets hard, I just want to stop and say, I can't, but he can. And now in verse 13, it says, now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, this is why it's really neat, and perceived that they were uneducated, common men, and they were all astonished, and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. Maybe if you've came in this place, you feel uneducated, common. When you spend time with Jesus, you can go right in the midst of any authority with boldness and confidence. I pray today that you'd walk in a whole new confidence. And so when you say, when God says, do you love me? You can say, yeah, yeah, I can only brotherly love you. And, and you just jump into his agape love. And that's how we can love God, is allowing his love to love us. And so when we say, do you, do you love me? It's like, wait, no, you love me. Correct answer. You love me. I'm the one you love. That's what you got to believe today. God is not trying to look for your approval. He doesn't need your works. And in fact, he finds out, it goes on, Peter had some great home runs, but he actually messed up again. He made mistakes again. There was time when he was not hanging out with certain people and Paul had to show up on the scene and say, what are you doing? The difference was he didn't go back to fishing. Now he corrected and said, I'm in the game. Remember all the while being married. And some historians say that, Peter was crucified upside down because he didn't want to be crucified in just the same way as his Lord. He saw the humility, the humility. I'll close with this, this, um, this verse. It's I've just got a few more moments. I always want to be respectful of your time. Uh, I believe God is doing something today. And what he's doing is this guilt, shame, or not wanting to get close to somebody because you started to believe that first, that first name tag. Like, oh, they denied Jesus. They're not going to change. Really? Well, I want to give them the second name tag, let them know they're loved. And I want, that's, that's what God gave me. And then I want to start giving them their God-given name tag and letting them know, hey, you're a rock. But you're not a rock. Jesus in you is a rock. That's what's exciting. And you know that, and I know that, going through things, being in situations. And now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated common men and were astonished, they recognized that they had been with Jesus. But here is the moment I love. But seeing the man who was healed standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. People can say whatever they want about a church. They can say that, hey, I don't believe with that tactic. I don't believe in, 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 that, in that marketing campaign. But I'll tell you what, you can't say something when somebody's life's changed standing right next to you and their life's been so impacted that they look and say, you know, we can't even oppose them because their life's been so impacted. I'll tell you what, I love that City Life is a place for people that are on any steps of the journey. You got business owners that are thinking, how do I love my employees better? You got people that are dealing with addiction that's saying, I'm trying to break through. You got marriages that are struggling thinking, I don't even want to talk to this person anymore, but I'm trying to find counseling now because there's new healing taking place for the person standing next to us. And then people look at that person, they say, hey, I believe something great is happening because, whoa, Jesus. And you would think in that moment they wanted to join the team. And sadly enough, they still looked and said, okay, we can't take them out now. We'll take them out later. And I want to be on God's team, the one that just gets real messy with the uneducated, the common people, gets real close to people and it finds people right next to them and just says, yeah, this is my squad. This is who we're rolling with. What do you guys got? That's awesome. That's love. That's grace. That's what God has for you today. And here is the end of everything. Receive grace and love to give 
grace in love. That's how we do it. You have to receive grace in love to give it. You can't give it on your own. Do you love Jesus? Man, I received his love, so therefore I can respond to love him through his love and through his power. So I can't, but he can. The worship team would come up here. And uh, you remember that song uh, they were singing? At the, what you guys sing at the end? Like, let the sun shine down. Right? That was sweet, right? That was, was sick. That's good. That's good. You guys need to know, like, lingo. That's sick. I like that. Sick is good nowadays. Yeah, sick's not bad. And as they sing this for the next four minutes, I want us to lay everything down. Can you do that today? What is it? Is it your pride? Is it eliteness? That you think that you have your own ability? Is it that you can't love that person anymore? You just can't forgive them. I can't go to that situation anymore. Man, Jesus went and found Peter when he shouldn't have. You would think, he denied me, he's not fit anymore, but by game, set, match, he showed up with scandalous love. Will you accept the grace of God? And accept the grace of God that even though maybe you had a moment when Jesus was changing your life and you keep messing up and you keep letting him down, well, maybe today God's not trying to have you look inward. Maybe he's trying to have you look up and you see how great he is and you're seeing the character of God. And here's the nature of God. He gives us his righteousness. Wow, it's an exchange. That's freedom. That's what grace is. So then when you read, you read through this, uh, the, the, the text and you hear tough things like, judgment and you hear about sins and, and how he's coming and, and how it makes him angry and different things. You're thinking about it through the lens of a healthy relationship through love. You're not looking at it about, oh, how do I earn love again? Do you love me? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I have to get the right. No, no, no. You can't get the right stuff. And he said, Peter, go love my sheep. What's God telling you? Go do. What's he giving you the new name today? And so I'm praying today that the Holy Spirit would speak to each one of you about how you can love more, but first and foremost, how you can just be loved more. I pray today that it would be not be about what you do, but who you are. And God, that you would transform lives, that they would hear you say, children, do you have any fish? And we'll be like, no, we got nothing. And it'd be like, okay, do it my way, follow me. And we have everything. Thank you, Jesus. Set your children free today. For somebody that's come in this place looking for new hope and new life, I pray that they will let it all go and they will say, God, forgive me, I'm a sinner. I put my trust and my faith and my hope in you. Be my Lord. And thank you for that salvation today. That's here for everybody. Let's stand and worship. Thanks for listening to the City Life Lansing podcast. Loving you and loving the city one life at a time. For more information, messages, and to partner financially, go to citylifelancing.com. You belong here.